Welcome back to the Sharpen Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator and producer of this show. Look, everybody, I've been doing this for 90 episodes. That's a lot of episodes, and I intend to do more. Today, I'm asking for your help. Go to my Patreon account, subscribe at $3, $5, $6, or even $8 a month. You can even just do a one-time donation. Anything helps me produce these episodes and get these stories told. The idea of minimizing future outdoor accidents. But I can't do it without you. I need my listeners' support. It costs money and it costs time. And like I said, I'm trying to produce two episodes a month. No longer the single episode a month, I'm trying to produce two. I'm also trying to do video content as well. So anything helps, again, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash the sharpen podcast or go to PayPal and just do a one-time donation. And don't forget, this show would not be possible without Rocky Talkies. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team in Denver, Colorado. I've used them on long road trips with other cars in the caravan. I've given them to my niece and nephew to play with while we're out on day hikes. I've used them on snow machine trips to stay connected with the crew as we travel from glacier to glacier. I've used them to talk friends into steep and complicated technical ski lines. I even used them when I was laid up in bed after my post-surgery to communicate with my boyfriend when he's out tinkering in the garage and I need help in the house. They've come in handy in all types of circumstances. And I know you can find many ways to find use for them too, including increasing your safety margin while out recreating in the outdoors. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and they work in the extreme cold. They have impressive battery life and solid range. Make all of your adventures safer by purchasing a set of their radios. And if you like discounts, Get 10% off by going to rockytalkie.com slash sharp end. In July of 2022, one year ago, just last summer, Bryce and James took a climbing trip to the Cirque of the Towers in the Wind River Range in Wyoming. They planned on climbing the Cirque of the Towers Traverse. First, they started out up the south buttress of Pingora and had a beautiful time on that route. At the top of that climb, that's when they would start the traverse over to Tiger Tower and then over to Wolf's Head. All was going just as planned until weather moved in. (laughs) And weather moved in fast. I'll let James and Bryce tell you the rest of the story. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is James Nash. Um, I live in Missoula, Montana. Uh, I'm a climber and a skier. Um, I work as a backpacking guide in the summers and I work at a restaurant in the winters. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Nice to meet you, James. And what about you, Bryce? My name is Bryce Young. Um, I also live in Missoula, Montana. Um, I'm wintering in Gunnison, Colorado right now. Um, But uh, I'm also a skier. James and I actually met at an avalanche course a couple years back, um, which is where we got the idea for this climb. And um, I am also a climber. Uh, I've been climbing since about 2008 and have climbed in a number of countries and states and a, and a bunch of different styles. Nice. And where's your favorite place to climb, Bryce? Uh, honestly, I think some of the best rock that I've climbed on would be uh, the Cirque of the Towers. Um, it's just phenomenal granite. 
Um, I've never climbed in the Eastern Sierras, uh, but there were a couple of dudes from California on our trip who said that the rock was comparable. So it made, made me feel like I got a little taste of that. Um, I also really like climbing at Red Rocks. Uh, it's such a pretty area, really good routes. And and what about you, James? Where's your favorite climbing area? Yeah, I got to agree with Bryce. I think I went to Red Rocks this last fall and it kind of stole my heart. And I will be going back there soon, hopefully. Let's make a couple more trips there. What was your favorite climb in Red Rocks? Gosh, we got on this thing. I want to say it was called Prime Rib. We didn't get to do a whole lot. We had some bad weather. Um, but it was just a really beautiful, easy, moderate, multi-pitch, um, great rock great views it was really isolated for or it was it felt pretty secluded um for what i think the rest of that area can feel like so it had a little special quality to it too did you climb olive oil no we didn't oh, i would like gotta to. go back there's, to that one I know, there's so much good stuff <laughs> there's there's so much good um i can't remember which which uh, canyon it's in but um yeah i mean i've been in i've been to red rocks twice and i also fell in love with that with that place but also just like you said, Bryce, love the Circa Towers in Wyoming. Love, love, love the Cirque so much. It's beautiful. I mean, it's all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say totally uncomparable, but it's up there. I like it because it's, it, it, the approach is so stunning. I mean, the approach in is just, mm-hmm. it makes you work for it, you know? And then once you, once you do the approach, then you're in it, you know? And then you, I mean, you don't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the mosquitoes. <laughs> I didn't actually have very bad mosquitoes, but I did have a lot of rats. Oh. Well, you're from Alaska, so you've got a different <laughs> definition. True. <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. That's so true. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks for being on the show again, and good meeting you. And um, what are we talking about today? So in the summer of 2022, Bryce and I took a climbing trip to the Circuit of the Towers in the Wind River Range in Wyoming with the intention of climbing some of uh, traverse of that range, um, of that massif. Um, And we had uh, a near miss, uh, an epic while we were climbing it um, that left us with a lot of reflecting to do. um, And it gave us a lot of learning moments. Um, So we're here to talk about that and what we learned and, and what we would do differently. And what, what month was this last summer? July. July. Okay. So uh, I had um, just been talking with a friend about the Cirque of the Towers Traverse. I had just sort of learned about it. And um, James and I had started climbing together that year. And we went on a few multi-pitch routes and had a good time. Um, I I think we climbed pretty well together. And um, James is very athletic, like outside of climbing. And um, so I thought, oh man, maybe James will be into this. So I uh, suggested the Cirque of the Towers Traverse and maybe, you know, with the goal of a, a 2023 full traverse, let's just go in 2022 and check out some of the pitches and kind of go along and not not try too hard but just sort of scope out the route um so we mm, uh we agreed to do that and um i picked james up on some of his off days between backpacking trips in uh, bozeman montana and we drove out to the winds and we're 
Um, we're checking the weather this whole time. We have a lot of weather sources um, that we're, we, we wanted to make sure we were on top of, especially July, you get afternoon thunderstorms all the time. And um, it was 0% chance of rain for like weeks. Um, we're just continuously checking the weather until the very moment that we lose service. And it's, it's still saying 0% chance of precipitation. How long um, is how long of it is a drive from from Missoula or from Bozeman to to the winds? So we did it in two days. Bryce picked me up at like six o'clock at night, um, and then we drove like probably three hours, and then spent the night uh, at a trailhead just outside West Yellowstone. And then I want to say it was probably seven or eight hours from West Yellowstone. Um, down through Jackson, Wyoming, and then east a couple more hours to, well, eight total, um, east to um, Pinedale. And then from there, it's just a quick jog in to the trailhead, um, the big sandy trailhead. Mm-hmm. And then what what are your two favorite, uh, James and Bryce, what are each of your favorite uh, weather app? I just stick with NOAA. I, I'm traditionally just using point forecasts off of the NOAA website. Um, I've had really good luck with that in the past. I think that they give like enough percentages for things happening and they project um, far enough with some certainty that I have historically trusted it quite a lot. I I like NOAA as well a lot. Um, There was another app that I got turned on to. Uh, My wife and I were, we had just come back um, from a five-week bike tour in the Dolomites, and we were touring with our climbing gear. And the app that worked really well there, I think, was called Blue Skies. It was so reliable and and very. Um, it had a really small geographical air- forecast area for each different um, area, so it was really really nice to be able to get a different forecast for each range you were in, even though they were geographically close. But it didn't work if i recall for the the winds or it wasn't accurate or i i couldn't rely on it for some reason so yeah noah was the go-to for me okay thanks for sharing that okay so uh rewind you're you're pulling into the pinedale zone you're cruising up to the big sandy is it big sandy campground Mm -hmm. or trailhead yeah trailhead okay and then what we We get out of the car and we're starting to do our last quick pack check, make sure we have everything. And uh, we realized that we had everything minus the tent stakes. <laughs> oh no, oh, yeah. so, that's okay yeah. in there though because I, I just slept under boulders when I when I last time I was in there. Nice, mm. yeah, that's a good way to do it. <laughs> Which yeah, so- tends the mice and the rats. Mm-hmm. I, I was too embarrassed, but James just went around the parking lot asking people for tent stakes, and um, he managed to get one, and then I think he got another one from somebody we randomly passed on the trail who he asked for tent stakes, so he had a couple on us at least. Yeah. That's awesome. No, no one but use your resources. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were uh, you were offering to buy like, them, and people didn't even want to sell in them. in the parking lot. No luck. Yeah. <laughs> so then the... We did the hike into the Cirque in that afternoon. So we probably took off from the trailhead around four o'clock. And I think we did the hike in in about four and a half hours. And since it's July in Wyoming, you have tons of of daylight. Um, So we made it in. It's a 
relatively strenuous hike um especially if you're not real comfortable at elevation it, it's definitely higher than um missoula where we live um and so it's like eight miles and i don't know a couple thousand feet of elevation took us a while i guess we must have gotten there by eight or eight thirty. um yeah, I, yeah. I really don't remember the times but i remember there being plenty of daylight for dinner and just sort of enjoying the atmosphere and um and the sunset i mean you pop over it's called the the high point of the hike is jackass pass and um we were passing all these people who were just like oh you guys are going up jackass pass (laughs) oh man and i i didn't think it was that bad um but we yeah we got into the cirque and it's just phenomenally beautiful when you you pop over this pass and it's just this huge massif of this endless sea of undulating granite just smooth walls and (sighs) incredibly picturesque as well and then this beautiful meadow with all of these small little streams running around the boulders that are in there it's a it's a pretty dreamy alpine environment to camp in minus the mosquitoes (laughs) <laughs> beautiful alpine lakes really pretty wildflowers it's it's about as good as it gets mm-hmm. i agree so you made dinner you what did you guys set up a tent with your two tent stakes we did yeah we <laughs> bryce used some boy scout skills and tied off a lot of uh little like rocks to the corners of the tents and and it held up super well um it was great so then you fall asleep and what what was your plan for the next day? Um, our plan for, yeah, we fell asleep. Our plan for the next day was to get a moderate alpine start. Do, do you remember, James? I think we woke up at 5. It, yeah, that sounds about right. So it's it's not insane. You know, it's not a 2 a.m. alpine start. I think we woke up at, at about 5. Um, the sun was already starting to rise because of the, the time of year. My memory is that we made it about to the start of the climb as the sun came up because I, I think, think we started right. the day yeah. in headlamps um, real quick breakfast, like oatmeal and coffee, and then hit the road. We we had packed our bags the night before, so it was just a get up, eat, grab stuff and go kind of day. Um, yep. And then we, we hiked up and our first uh our first objective was to climb uh pingora um and we made it up there there were two other guys uh from california who were starting the route kind of right ahead of us around right around the same time and we just stayed behind them uh the whole time and made it to um yeah and 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 we started climbing um it was an awesome experience. I mean, you've got the sun rising over the cirque. You're on this bomber granite doing, you know, some face climbing, uh, some really, really good hand jams. And it was just overall a, a, a real giggle fest getting to the top <laughs> of Pingora, I would say. Totally. Yeah, it was four really, really good pitches of of really beautiful climbing. And the temperatures were amazing. I remember being in like a fleece and a light jacket um and just loving it so yeah we started up swapped leads on those four pitches um cruised up pretty quickly um and then once you top out the fourth pitch 
there's a little ledge to belay the second up on and then you unrope and do some some really uh light scrambling up to the summit from there it's i don't know maybe another 100 200 feet or so um and then you get this beautiful view looking off the other side that you couldn't see from the direction you came in you come up this south um the route we took was the south buttress um and so then you're looking north and you see this whole other range and you're looking off into the distance at just a huge expanse of beautiful mountains it's it's pretty surreal you guys got to the top around say nine ish or something yeah that sounds about right and then were you, did you have more plans for the rest of the day yeah so for the rest of the day um we we picked out um a few bail points um in case the weather went south or we were moving slower than expected or it was just really hard for some reason we we um were we kind of had a soft plan to do the whole traverse um i think our full uh, our our plan a was to at least summit um pangora and then uh tiger tower which isn't really a climb it's just sort of like an intermediate summit between um pangora and wolf's head um and then summit Wolf's Head, and it we we knew we had a bailing point um, between Tiger Tower and Pangora, so we passed that, went over Tiger Tower, um, and we get to the ledge between Tiger Tower and Wolf's Head, um, and you're you're looking up at Wolf's Head, and it looks like this knife ridge that just goes up for thousands of feet, and it's <laughs> it's pretty narrow and it it just is very imposing in a very awe-inspiring kind of way Mm -hmm. and we're at this point very fired up to do this climb um and we knew that on the other side of wolf's head there was another bail point and then i we had picked out a third bailing point if we were making good time and wanted to go further along the cirque there was another one on the other side of Wolf's Head or Shark's Fin, some, somewhere around there was another documented bailing point. So we had all these things in mind. And we get to our um, the little saddle between Tiger Tower and Wolf's Head, and we're about to start uh, what's called the sidewalk pitch um, of Wolf's Head, which is a, a maybe at its narrowest point, like three foot wide slab of granite that goes probably at five, four and doesn't protect super well. Um, and we're sitting at the base of it and we see this cloud roll over and it's one one cloud, one cloud. Um, it's a very small cumulus cloud and it has some dark inside it. Um, and earlier that morning I had seen some really high cirrus clouds, um, that often can be a sign that weather is moving in. Um, and then I, I see this cumulus cloud and James and I just start to ponder it. And so we sit down and have lunch and, and have a conversation and, and start weighing our options at this point of whether do we want to continue or do we want to bail because of this tiny little cloud? And I, I can pass it to James from there. Yeah. I remember us sitting on the saddle between tiger tower and wolf's head eating lunch. Um, with an epic view. Of, with an epic view. <laughs> Incredible. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of just hanging out, like assessing how we're doing so far, uh, energy wise and 
um, how much time we have left in the day. And this cloud kind of rolls over the cirque because the cirque, it wraps kind of in a, a half circle, um, starting with Pingora on the north side, and then it heads to the west and then wraps south. So your view is relatively obstructed of the weather coming in from the west. Um, so as soon as this cloud kind of crested the cirque, we this was the first sign of weather that I think we had seen. And um, it looked a little dark and ominous. Um, and we're starting to have a conversation about it. Um, about whether we feel confident that the weather forecast is going to hold up with what we had seen before with a really high pressure system, um, not bringing any precip or storms for the foreseeable future. Um, and we kind of sat and pondered. And at one point, we both agreed to go down. Um, and so then we sat for a bit longer and enjoyed our lunch. Um, but we kept talking. And being at the base of this unbelievably beautiful climb that's um, just a North American classic. Um, it's really hard to to say no to. So as we talked, um, we kind of waffled on what our reasoning was for going down. Was, the, was it just an irrational fear of the cloud and weather potentially rolling in? Could we beat, you know, the a potential weather system rolling in really like what was going to happen um and we ended up talking ourselves into trying the climb and just i mean that makes sense there's there's one there's one cloud and you saw the wispies Mm -hmm. you're making good time you're feeling strong but there's only that one cloud and so Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah i'm kind of just wondering what if i was in that position what i would have decided and it's it's a tough call so Anyway, right. what, were you, what were we going to say, Bryce? Oh, just to add a little color to that conversation, we we were weighing our options, and we we said we were talking through scenarios. We said, okay, um, there's probably three options. One of three things is going to happen. We're we're going to get up there, and these are just going to be a couple of passing clouds, and it's going to be a beautiful rest of the day. Is option number one. Option number two is that we're going to get up there. And it's going to be a little afternoon storm that kind of spits at us and we can just kind of get to a comfortable spot and wait it out or just keep climbing. Because, I mean, a a lot of people who go into the mountains get caught in rain um, and and it doesn't end up being a big deal. Right. Um, And then our third worst case scenario was that it's this awful like hail and lightning storm and we end up having to bail off this route while we're at one of the highest points in the vicinity with a thunderhead right over us. And so we I like option number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> option number one um would have made for a better day. Uh so we we actually Some foreshadowing here, I think. Yeah. We actually talked through all of these options and then like James said, we we ended up talking ourselves in to doing the climb just based on the information that we had. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there you are, you're, you're putting away lunch and you're going to do it. You're going to go for it. Yep. 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 We, uh, we head up the sidewalk pitch. We make it um, about uh, four pitches up and then I'm belaying James up and it's starting to, um, to hail on us. The clouds so are getting darker. There, there, there's more clouds. Yeah, this one was just the scout. And um, the rest are really starting to roll in in mass. And it's starting to hail on us at this point. 
Yeah. And the, so the terrain from the saddle up to, to where Bryce was at this point in the story is really easy terrain. So you can move pretty quickly over it. Um, and it's like five, four to five, six, I Mm -hmm. think climbing. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember coming up the last pitch to where Bryce is belaying me and all of a sudden there's some raindrops and, you know, I kind of think, Oh man, that sucks, but it'll be okay. Like we'll, we can manage a little bit of rain. And then very shortly after that little pellets of hail start plinking off my helmet. And that's when kind of the, the realization that this might be a worse storm than we had initially thought start to set in. So James gets up to me at the belay and we're both on the same page. Like this is supposed to be a, a rope eater of a route. If you, um, if just because of all the flakes and cracks, the way the terrain is, it's very hard to pull your rope without it getting stuck. Um, but perfect. Yeah. Uh, but we decided that, um, we, shouldn't continue upward at this and and we had an 80 meter rope so we were making a lot of progress with really long uh, like longer pitches i would say um so we were over two-thirds of the way to the top at this point and um we decided to turn around and rappel back down um and i think the uh the light bulb moment for me that we were in a dangerous situation was when James was flaking the rope, it was making this sound like a whirring sound going every single, um, kind of length of rope that he drew through his hand, it would go. And I, I asked James what that was. And he said, it's static from thunder or, you know, from it's static electricity. And we made eye contact, and I had a I had an oh shit moment. Um, I, sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to. Swear <laughs> no, on the you're. Podcast. <laughs> no, you're fine, James. Did you also have an oh shit moment? Yeah, I think mine might have set in a second earlier as we were rigging the rappel from the top of that. I was not super stoked to be rappelling down <laughs> this relatively low angle route in in hail and rain. Um, yeah, but then, you know, we made it down one and then the the static started coming in a little heavier and, and things got really serious really fast. It was it was really scary. Yeah. Um, and as as we're rappelling down, I think on the first rappel, as we pull the rope from the bottom of it, our rope gets stuck in a crack like we had thought might happen. Um so, you know, even right off the bat, as we're, we're trying to descend, things start going wrong um, and little things start to add up. And, and then, you know, your fear starts to build. Um, how do you yeah. how do you get the rope back? Do you have to climb up and get it or do you have to cut it? So <laughs> at, at this at this point, so we're we're at the bottom of the first rappel. Um, we've been getting kind of hail slash sleeted on and there's, there's thunder sounding and, um, we get into this little nook. I mean, nothing, if you, you, any listener can look up pictures of this ridge and there's nothing to hide in. Um, and, but we get into kind of this little nook and my 
process that I learned through this that I um, deal with situations and elsewhere in my life as well. If it is, I sort of have like a freak out moment up front where I'm thinking through every, I'm thinking through how bad our situation is and I'm saying we're, we're in the heat. I'm shivering uncontrollably. Like I, I brought a light rain shell um, and it had already been soaked through. There's thunder. Our rope is stuck and it's, you know, we're not going to actually survive the night here if it keeps raining like this and we're stuck on this knife ridge. Um, and I was, I think at that point we saw another party that was um, descending Pingora and I have a pretty loud whistle. So I was trying to whistle to them, um, but they, uh, nobody heard us. And um, it was at that point that the feeling of remoteness really set in for me. Uh, that we we don't have a, we didn't have an inreach or any sort of GPS um, SOS device with us, and um, even if we did, there's a thunderstorm and it's likely to be nighttime by the time you know a, a that the weather clears up enough for a helicopter to fly in, and we don't have any communication with anybody, and it's just us out there, um, and that that really set in pretty deeply for me at that point. Um, and yeah, came just sort of came to the realization that we were, yeah, we had to go back up because the rope wasn't pulling whatsoever. Both, both ends are still in our hands. And, um, so just had to go back up and re-rig the rappel and come back down. Was Which is way more energy when you're already freezing, you're shivering. Yes. Uh. So you recovered the rope. Yep. Yeah, um, another rappel. So when then... when I went to uh, when I went to recover the rope, I I climbed back up there and l- lightning. I, I I'm pretty sure it was at this point that lightning was actually striking the ridge. You know, a hundred feet or you know within a hundred yards of us, um, and the static electricity wasn't just when you were pulling the rope, when we were pulling the rope through our hands. Um, I got up there and the static electricity was crackling around me. Like you could, you could hear it like grasshoppers in August, making this really loud apocalyptic sort of like clicking sound just all around, um, like firecrackers going off. And, uh, I remember, I took a, um, some gear from the rappel, and so my my rappel wasn't uh, wasn't fully built, and I had the rope through my ATC, and all this crackling is happening, and it it just starts to amplify in a big way, um, and I just leapt onto yeah, I kind of dynamically loaded uh, this rappel and just leapt off the side of the cliff to. Uh, to avoid getting struck by lightning. And at that point, lightning did strike, not where I was standing, but somewhere on the ridge. And um, I, and I rappelled down. I, I left my alien, my, if for anybody who knows what aliens are, it's a camming device, but it's a, it's a very reputable brand and they're not manufactured anymore. And I had a set of those. And at that point I was, I was leaving my best gear. I was leaving all my aliens 
so somebody who went up into the winds got had a really lucky day who whoever came up to that route after us um but, well, and if that person's listening to this podcast, reach out to me and I'll connect you with James and Bryce and you can get those aliens back to your friends. <laughs> Thank you. I just, I just pause for one second. I just think mm-hmm. it's the, the thought of you climbing back up, like into the weather, into like, you know, I mean, you, you know, you hear a lighting and then, the you know, you hear, you, you have to descend, 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 right? And so the thought mm-hmm. of you going up is so it goes against all my intuitive uh, survival instincts, right? Like don't go up, go down. And so how, James, what did you think when you, when you're like Bryce, it's like his, he has to go up. So James, what were you thinking in that moment of like Bryce is climbing back up where the weather is? Yeah, it was pretty harrowing. Um, So from the point where Bryce is climbing up to this, we were sitting in this little nook and it's got like, a two foot roof and rain is running behind the crack. So I was sitting there getting wet and cold as Bryce is climbing up into this lightning storm and static. And yeah, it was super scary, right? Because you know what, like if something happens to him at that point, it becomes like a totally different. Oh um, yeah. Like Game changer. Descent, right. Yeah. So you, you know, then you're in the middle of a rescue. Mm-hmm, yep. If something and happened like, to Bryce up there. Yeah. And that would be, you know, take an already extremely challenging situation to something way worse, way worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty scary at that point. It, um, it does get worse though, because we, <laughs> we came, we came down. So I, I was able to rappel down and we pulled the rope and it's actually pulling, but it does end up getting stuck again. Um, and so had to go climb up there again Again. in the lightning and at this point i mean it it was i had to be flat against the rock like basically laying on the rock if i could because if i raised my head up at all i would get this crackling you know the the grasshopper sort of static sound and um ended up getting pretty close to the anchor and it was just stuck in this uh this feature that i felt was going to be hard for me to get the rope dislodged from. And so that point I, I cut the rope and I figured it was probably about 15 feet off the end of this rope or maybe, maybe 30 feet at most. Um, and just, uh, cut the rope and then just down climbed and, um, and I, I can kind of pause there. Yeah. So at this point we had been, counting the time between thunder and lightning, right? Because, you know, you want to get some rough estimate of it, if it's getting closer or further. Between and, flash boom. Mm-hmm, between flash boom. And for, gosh, two, two to three hours of this, it was like sub five seconds between both of those. So it was super close um, and really loud and pretty spooky. Um, so Bryce gets back down to this nook that we're sitting in and we take a moment to attempt to collect ourselves and warm up. Um, so we're both huddling in, in this little ledge doing squats to attempt to stay warm and, and come up with, um, a continued plan to, to descend. And we, as Bryce was saying, we were looking across at Pangora, which is back to our, uh, East and we can see at least one party sitting up there. 
um, also waiting to repel, which for some reason was like heartening to know that we weren't the only ones in this situation. And that like, I don't know why, obviously we don't wish that other people would be in the same situation, but there was, I don't know, maybe something comforting about having company in this remote place. Um, yeah, so we, we continue our descent from there. Um, and at this point, you know, we're, we're freezing and trying to figure out a best strategy to get down. And so, um, we decided to start lead down climbing between the pitches because we felt the, the ropes getting stuck was just like, not something that we wanted to risk. We didn't want to like continue to lose rope if we were to get back into a situation, um, like the one we were just in. Um, so we keep continuing down and we end up making it back to the sidewalk pitch and all of the granite at this point is wet and slick. And it just was like an extra layer of difficulty on this thing that was like so easy to ascend. Right. It was like such a flip in, in the time we were up there. Um, but then you're, but then you've added fear and like, like you said, water and slickness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've, you've added all these other elements to an already challenging descent. I mean, you know, the sidewalk route you said is about three feet wide. Right. So, mm-hmm. and, and then massive exposure on either side. So yep. that must've also been, been terrifying. Definitely. And the, there's not very much gear there. Well, there is no gear on it. Right. Um, so you have, you know, this, you're looking at this like potential 30 foot swing onto from, if you were at the far end from your last piece of gear, which is like a pretty, pretty real fall in that situation. Um, yeah. yeah. And Ashley, you were, I would say that at that point, um, fear was not really an issue um Hmm. there there was a moment of reckoning in which the hazard of falling was uh was the least of our worries and forefront in our mind was getting out of the lightning um so we did the two repels i had to cut the rope on the second one and we get down and we ended up actually doing another rappel and uh, the rope got stuck for a third time. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> and, uh, at, and James and I are thinking the, the lightning is our number one worry. Um, our number two worry is the environmental hazard, just being out in this cold and wind and rain Wet. and sleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was you know, wearing like relatively light summer layers. Cause we hadn't anticipated getting caught in yeah. the rain, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we had some warm stuff, but as soon as we got wet, it, yeah, it wasn't enough well, with the wind and the exposure. Yeah. Just like yeah. Bryce said, he, he had a light waterproof jacket and by within the first five minutes of hail coming down, I mean, it's so it's, it's worthless at that point. It's mm-hmm. soaked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally soaked. So our, our objective was just became to get off the mountain and it, it stopped being scary at that point. I, I actually thought 
I weighed the odds in my head. I I really thought there was a 90% chance that we were not going to make it off the mountain. 90%? And I, I thought there was a 90% chance that we wouldn't make it at all, um, given the objective hazards that we just couldn't mitigate at that point. Um, and so the fear of climbing without gear or down climbing on slippery stuff just kind of disappeared for me. And um, that happened as I was, you know, down climbing this pitch and I get down to James and I, I think James was having a similar mental moment at the time. Um, he was kind of staring off into space, mouth agape, just sort of not, not really there. And, and the rope was stuck again. Um, and so I was like, James, I really, I really need you as a partner right now. And pull together, man. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I think you should, I, I'm happy to do it, but I really think that you should go up and retrieve this rope because I need you to get back in the game and we mm. still have a long ways to go back down to camp. And so James made another harrowing ascent and I can't remember if you cut the rope the second time or if I did, but um, you you made it up there, you retrieved the rope, you down climbed and, and we were at the sidewalk pitch at that point, I think. Yeah, and I think this is where you know being in in big mountains with a partner you really trust is really great yeah. because bryce saying that to me you know you could take it a number of different ways um but it it did really help me um kind of wake back up and and mm. keep moving and be productive so that part was really helpful and then he uh, led the harrowing down climb down the sidewalk pitch too so yeah. and uh so we're we're kind of off of wolf's head and we're not really too worried about lightning anymore, but I was starting to move pretty slowly because of the, it felt like hypothermia setting in. Um, it had, I don't know how long it had been at this point. Um, but I was making testimonial videos this whole time for my body recovery, just while James was not there. So he didn't know how dire I thought the situation was. Um, I was recording myself on video. Um, what our experience was and what we were trying to do. And um, so we're, yeah, we're starting to move a little slow, but we, it's still a long ways to the ground from uh, Wolf's Head. And we had identified a, a rap route uh, on the other side of Tiger Tower. Um, but we also, we would have had to then climb back up, you know, gain mm -hmm. elevation and then climb back down again. And this is all unprotected. Um, yeah. So we had seen some tat uh, that was um, between Wolf's Head and Tiger Tower. And What's so, tat? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So tat is just webbing or cordelette that somebody has wrapped around a rock or some sort of anchor point to create either a belay station or a rappel station. And this was, we didn't know what it was, if it was somebody going up or somebody going down. But um, we elected to uh, hook into it and wrap down from there onto a ledge that I suppose would be on the the south face of Wolf's Head, roughly. Yeah, so we had made it down the pitches we had climbed up Wolf's Head, and we had gotten back to the saddle where we ate lunch. Um, and at this point, we weighed options on which direction to go. We saw this rappel station kind of relatively close in front of us um, that was in the saddle before 
we headed back towards Tiger Tower. Um, so that was one option. And the other option that we decided against was to, to reclimb Tiger Tower, which is relatively easy terrain. Um, but with, yeah, the gain in elevation and the, the rock being wet, we opted out of trying to climb that and, and head to the other side, the saddle between Tiger Tower and Pingora. Um, so we decided to rappel down from this station we had seen to this ledge below. Um, we could see the whole way down. So after we rigged the rappel, we um, knotted the ends of our ropes and tossed it down. And we could see that it, it did, in fact, hit the ledge below. Um, so we felt good about taking that down as an option because it, it made progress down and looked like a ledge system that would link us below Tiger Tower closer to the descent gully that we knew was there. Um, so we rappel down that. And then once we're on that ground, we decided, well, we started looking around trying to figure out what the next move would be. Um, and the, there was another rappel station pretty much right in front of us. Um, but this one, we couldn't see where the bottom of it was. Um, and having, no idea where it led off to we didn't want to commit to rappelling down that in case it was a dead end and we ended up like you know stuck at some belay station that like didn't quite work we just weren't confident enough that it would get us where we needed to go especially with our uh shortened rope length so we decided to try and find another option um and Bryce, if you want to carry it on. I just, <clears throat> I just really appreciate how you you mentioned that you knotted both ends of the rope, right? I mean, because in the tizzy, in the stress, and the the kind of the, you know, the oh shit moments, that can be so that little detail can be so overlooked and cause mm -hmm. massive, massive mistakes, right? That can cause like. I mean, you both can lose your lives if you didn't knot the end of your rope and, and you're just trying, all you can think about is getting down, getting down, getting down, right? So I just really appreciate that you guys did that. You took the time to actually take and put knots in your rope. I'm, I'm very anal about knotting the end of my rope just with how many accident reports you hear and yeah, deaths, exactly. you know, yeah. of even professional climbers like Brad um, and who it just happens because uh, somebody didn't knot the end of the rope. And e even in the gym, I knot the end of my rope. I, I knot it when I put it away. I knot it's it great the habit. first time I take it out. And it, it's it, it's silly sometimes because you know the rope's going to reach, but it's just a, a complete habit. I really don't. The rope doesn't leave my hands into the abyss if it's not knotted. That's smart. So, yeah. And I think one of our saving graces through this is that we had both climbed together enough and climbed enough that like a lot of these things, rigging rappels and, and tying and untying knots are second nature enough that like, fortunately, even in like a very uh, like afraid state, like those things still came relatively naturally. So that definitely helped us. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so we're on this ledge and it's, uh, a very large ledge uh, with vegetation and stuff like that. And at this point, a rainbow actually came out. Um, oh, that's nice. And I think it was like, I don't know, six or eight o'clock at, at this point. It took a really long time to get off Wolf's Head, longer than we expected. 
Um, but we're still freezing and it's still raining and windy. And, um, and we, yeah, look down this like overhanging face where the wrap station goes down and we're, we spent a while searching around for a good option and we ended up traversing on a pretty easy traverse in dry conditions, but it was pretty slabby rock leading off of a, you know, a thousand foot cliff or something like that. And so it took us a while to just manage our way across that. And we finally get to the gully um, between Tiger Tower and Pingora. And there's more tat. And we just celebrated this tat like nobody's business. And uh, and um, then I, th I think the biggest celebratory moment actually was when we hooked our rope into that tat and we threw it down and we watched both ends of the rope hit the ground below. <laughs> um, we just like high-fived and hugged. And I think we even let ourselves stop for a little snack and some water there. And just like, I think we're going to make it. So yeah. what what's the lightning doing now? Is it still, what's it's, the flashbang now? It's still thundering, but I wasn't counting at that point, I, I think it was seeming in in my memory. It was seeming more distant. Maybe you remember more, James. Yeah, my memory is that kind of as soon as we got down to that big ledge, the storm had mostly subsided, um, and we were. It was still pretty windy, and so being soaked, we were we were really cold. Um, but yeah, by that point, the storm had started to move move away, and I remember actually being angry at the rainbow <laughs> Bryce <laughs> pointed it out he was like wow it's so pretty and I was like I hate everything right now let's just get down <laughs> yeah um, but yeah I remember getting to that gully where we saw that that first piece of tat for the rappel station and I think it was like still a bit more there was like two or three short rappels that we did with maybe like a okay couple pieces of easy easy down climbing between that um, and then from there we made it down onto solid ground and a snow field. And that was about as it was getting dark. I think our headlamps went on like 10 minutes before we hit the ground. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, it also wasn't over at that point. Um, I was extremely cold and we get into our, uh, we make it back to the tent. We had seen headlamps in the campgrounds and that was really comforting to me that we, we could give an SOS signal at that point if we needed to. There were people with eyes on us and they could see our headlamps and we could see theirs. Um, but we were able to, I, I don't know if you would call it a proper self-rescue, but you know we bailed successfully and we got to the ground and we get to our tents, um, our tent and uh, get inside. And um, I had never really been in a, a sit a cold related emergency before. Um, and uh, so James and I both have our, our wilderness EMTs um, and you're supposed to get in, in a hypothermia situation as a rescuer, you're supposed to get the patient dry, 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 and then warm them, get them in a sleeping bag, start a fire. Um, and for some reason, I thought, oh, I'm wearing all silk and wool. Like this stuff's supposed to keep you warm when it's wet. So it would probably be best if I just kept it on. Um, 
but that was a bad idea. I just got colder and James and I had to just cuddle through the entire night and I I was just shivering the whole time and it took took both of us to make it through the night. It was nasty. We didn't bring too many layers. Um so it was pretty difficult to get Bryce back to warm. I was feeling a bit warmer at that point. I think we heated up some water and put it in an algae and got him in a sleeping bag and uh yeah, had a had a little cuddle through the night to try and stay warm. Um, but we definitely weighed the option of just hiking out and getting to the car and trying to keep moving so that um, we could stay warm. It was, we weren't sure which one would be the better option as it was getting pretty dark and the hike out is long and, and pretty arduous. Um, so we decided to stay in the campsite we had already set up. Did you guys get any sleep that night? Not a whole lot. Yeah. So then you wake up the next morning and you guys just pack up and, and bail. Yep. You're like, okay, we're done. This trip, this trip is over. Uh, yep. I James journaled and I debriefed with somebody in the next campground. Um, mm-hmm. And they had been watching us and they had also been caught up, uh, but they were on Pingora and it sounded like they had found a, a roof to keep them relatively dry and just sort of wait out the storm. Um, but it was... I don't know. It was it was good for me to just talk about it right away. Um, it is good. That's yeah. super good. Yeah, that's impressive that you had the energy to to do that right away. What what were some of the lessons that you guys learned from from this incident? I have three lessons um, that I learned. So one of them um, was the the clothing I was wearing. So. One of the parties who was on Pangora at the time um, said that they had seen us, but that they couldn't. They couldn't see me. James was wearing a bright red jacket. I was in the worst attire you could imagine. I was wearing black pants and a camo, uh, a camo top, um, and they said they couldn't really see me. Um, and even though we wouldn't have been able to be rescued just because of the the weather and the nightfall and and just our urgency for needing to get off the mountain um and to a warm place uh i i i now own extremely bright neon <laughs> mountain gear i i think it was uh, which is surprisingly hard to find i think the the fashion in america is very earthy um, and so I had to go to these like European websites to find this neon clothing, um, and just look like a, a beacon in the mountains, not blend in with them at all. So that was one of my lessons learned was that I would say the second one was our SOS device or lack thereof. Um, that would have been something also that would have been really nice to have. So Actually, the new iPhone 14 comes with a built-in SOS system that works on satellite, so I have that now. Um, And the third lesson for me was, um, I I wouldn't say a super hard and fast, like, here's your lesson, but a a new experience for me was having having, uh, slipping and falling not not be the top risk there there was the lightning and the environmental factors were 
the risks. And so we, we had to risk slipping and, and taking a potentially fatal fall um, in order to uh, mitigate the other two risks. And that's, that's something that I would say, if you spend time in the mountains, you'll probably eventually encounter that. And um, it's good to just be able to look at these risks objectively, not not in terms of what's the scariest, but what do I have control over and what do I not have control over and what's the most urgent for me to mitigate right now. And what about you, James? What, what were some of the lessons that you learned? Yeah, probably one of the first ones I have to go with the one Bryce said, having um, some sort of like emergency locator beacon um, would have been good in that scenario. I really think that, you know, even though rescue wouldn't have been able to get to us immediately, letting someone know that we were like out there would have been beneficial. Um, Another one is trusting our gut as we're sitting on our lunch ledge, deciding whether we want to continue on climbing, um, which is really tricky because like, you know, we're weighing the desire to climb this super classic thing and, and like, you know, balancing whether we think we should bail because of the weather rolling in or, or was that just, you know, our own fear telling us to bail? Um, yeah. And then a, a third lesson probably being more aware of the routes around us that we weren't climbing on. So we had a broader scope of knowledge on potential bail options instead of like the, the two from where we were that we had picked out, um, I think could have eased the stress of navigating off of the route um, and maybe sped it up a little bit. Hmm. I feel like you guys did a really good job of that, though. I feel like you guys kind of, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, you were telling me that you, you had already identified, you know, exit routes mm-hmm. along the way. But you're saying that you should have identified more. Yeah, maybe just a, like another contingency since we, we didn't, you know, like we didn't anticipate having to go down that direction. And then we also didn't anticipate not being able to or not wanting to go over Mm-hmm. Tiger Tower. So being in in that spot, um, right? I think in hindsight, like I mean, it's easy to say from here, but would have been <laughs> when nice you're warm and dry. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> would have been nice. Yeah. Well, well, to one of the points that James said about, um, he, he was kind of alluding to decision heuristics, uh, which are pretty. I don't hear about them as much in the climbing community as I do in the skiing community. I think with avalanche risk mitigation, um, you learn a lot about, for instance, um, if you go up to a slope and you want to ski it, you're kind of thinking about avalanche danger. Um, And when you're making the decision in your head, often you can trick yourself into making a decision not based on the objective information that you're looking at, but rather based on something else. For instance, uh, the avalanche danger is high on north aspects on slopes above 35 degrees. Um, This is is that type of slope. Um, 
I shouldn't do it. That's the objective way of looking at it. But often what we end up doing is saying, this is a slope that looks like chest deep powder. I want to send that so bad right now. Um, and that's the question you end up answering in your head in order to make the decision to go down that slope. Um, and so that's what we were kind of battling with in our, um, in our decision-making process to go up Wolf's head. Uh, what, what was that decision actually based on? That That's a really tough thing to determine in retrospect. Was it based on the objective risk? Did we just decide that that objectively the risk wasn't that high? Or did we just talk ourselves into doing something because we thought it was going to be really fun? And even in retrospect, I, I don't know if our decision-making process was flawed. I mean, obviously we ended up making the wrong decision, but... I. I, I still can't really say for certain if our decision-making was flawed or if we just got really unlucky. That That's an unknown for me that maybe James has another opinion on. Yeah, I, I think it's really hard to parse out what's motivating your decision in either direction. Because um, obviously, you know, as people who go into to wild places like this with objectives in mind, you have a, a drive to do those. Um, and it can be difficult to to really step back and weigh the gravity of the whole situation. Yeah, it's 100% because you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a great book on decision heuristics called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman that is I'm, I'm in line to uh, in the library to... Um, reread that book because I think it's uh, it's really important to understand how your mind works in order to make good decisions. What is your favorite weather app and how often do you use it? How hard do you rely on that information? Head on over to the Sharpen Podcast Facebook group to share your weather resources with your climate community. And if you're interested in learning more about decision heuristics, make sure to check out the book that James suggested, Thinking Fast and Slow by David Kahneman. You can also find it in the show notes. If you learned something from this episode or any of the Sharpen episodes you listen to, please tell a friend or family member. Spread the word about my podcast. Help me get these stories out into our climate community so we can all minimize future outdoor accidents. And don't forget, you can donate to the show via PayPal or by becoming a Patreon member. There are new monthly bonus episodes coming to Patreon members soon. If you've been begging for more episodes, you finally got what you asked for. More content, more stories, more outdoor lessons we can all learn from. Thank you so much to Rocky Talkies for sponsoring this podcast time and time again. And thank you to the American Alpine Club for believing in my podcast mission. The American Alpine Club podcast is your guide to the climbing community, exploring the many ways that we define climbing and the ways climbing defines us. In recent episodes, the American Alpine Club podcast interviewed Alex Honnold about his obsession with speed and link-ups, got access fun talking about the tumultuous state of bolting and wilderness, and featured an inspiring conversation about equity and climbing with Genevieve Walker. You can find episodes like this and more on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcast. Subscribe today. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.